So a couple of weeks ago, I was driving with my son Elijah and his buddy Noah, folks' dad, and we invented a joke. Maybe I should say I did, in case it's not very good. But have you ever tried to like make up a really simple joke? It's not very easy. So let me see if this is a good one. All right, you guys know Elon Musk? Tesla guy, electric car guy, right? Okay, here's a joke. Where should Elon Musk live? He should live on mad at gas cars. (laughs) That's super good. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Maybe I have a new career in line for me. Now, what's funny about that is you're pairing two things, right? Elon Musk and Madagascar. So we pair a lot, right? If you have a phone, what do you do with your phone? You pair it to your your headphones or to whatever other device you have, right? Some people are really good at pairing their outfits. Other people, well, yeah. Right? We pair people together. Like we have two single friends who are like, we got to get them together. Right? And what do we call that? A blind date, right? Sometimes you wish you were blind. You go to a movie where it's dark at least. Okay? Some people pair wine. I'm not a wine drinker, right? So we're always like putting things together. John, in 1 John chapter 3, is going to pair some things together that at first glance seem strange but they're actually really brilliant and they're absolutely true, okay? So this is a pairing message. Just He pairs, he is the apostle of love. He's gonna pair love to these different things and some of them are shocking. Check this out. First John 3, picking it up where he left off in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. First pairing, love and hate. Cain's our example. We actually looked at him last week, and we know this. Cain had in him this seed of envy, and this envy had a big bane and explodes into murder. And it happens at church, right? They both brought their sacrifices to church, if you would. John tells us why Cain did it. What was the motivation? What was behind it all? And John just says, because Cain's deeds were evil, and Abel, his brother's deeds, were righteous. That's why. That sometimes people are going to hate you because they're guilty for their own evil deeds and that they, 
are jealous and kind of mad at you because you don't have those same evil deeds, right? And so they're actually glad when you blow it. It's why when a pastor fails morally, it's national news, but not when someone else does. It's, it's almost like um, their conscience is soothed. Like, see, I told you, Christians are terrible people just like me. They're evil. They get soothed by it. That's what John is saying here, love and hate. And he says something in verse 13 that I think every Christian should have underlined. This is what he says. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. If you love Jesus and his kingdom, the world is going to hate you. We need to underline that and mark that. And then we have to ask ourselves, are we hated by the world? Because if I'm loving Jesus and doing what he wants me to do, I should be hated by the world. So if I'm not hated by the world, maybe I'm not loving Jesus and doing what he wants me to do, right? I think personally that the Achilles heel of the church in the 21st century, and every church has its, when I say church, I'm saying big C church. Every church has its own things it has to go through. But the Achilles heel of the church in the 21st century is this thing of not wanting the world to hate us. We want to be accepted and loved by the world, don't we? So I have an article that's Katie Couric in the Huffington Post interviewing at that time the fastest growing church in America. It was in New York City. And so she's asking him all these questions about church and stuff. And she asked him this, well, what do you think about homosexuality? Yeah. The pastor answered, we do not preach on homosexuality. We only preach on God's love. Guess what he was saying right there? Don't hate me. I'm just like you. Accept me. I'm just like you, right? That's what he's saying. We're just like you. We're no different than you. Accept us. When a church does that, and you can read church history, it's really clear. When a church does that, they sign their death warrant. Denominations have died when we start saying, we want to be just like the world. We want to conform to the world. That's what happens. It dies. You know what makes Christianity attractive to people? It's not that we're exactly like the world and we do everything the world does. You know what makes Christianity attractive? Jesus. That's what makes Christianity attractive. Jesus and lives that look like him. Lives of sacrifice, lives of giving, lives of investment. That's what does. When we don't have a fairy love, this crazy fairy love the world has, when we have a holy, fierce love that actually cares about the best for people, even if they don't like us, I still care for the best for you. I have this article on cool churches that grow really fast. And it said this, cool churches have 80 to 90% turnover every single year. Right? That's crazy. Why? Because for a lot of people, church is a hobby. But guess what? It's really easy to find a better hobby on Sunday morning. Like, man, I got a boat. That's a fun hobby. Man, I figured out how to fish. That's a great hobby. I'm now a Riverside Baptist Christian. That's what I'm going to be. Right? So absolutely, you're going to have all this kind of turnover. You can find something happier. What's tragic to me about that interview is this. That pastor, six months ago, was fired from that church because he was unfaithful to his wife. Sounds like multiple times. It's tragic. 
But here's what happens. When we get comfortable with the world, the world starts getting comfortable in here. And there's no difference between us and between them. We're exactly the same, right? I rejoice when the world hates me because that's what it means. It means I stood up for something in my life. I stood for something. And I wanna be a man. I hope we're a church that stands up for something, okay? And love is not, hey, accepting whatever. Love is actually having something truthful and concrete to offer people. Well, guess what? We have something truthful and concrete to offer people. We offer Jesus Christ, Savior, who's gonna save you from your worst enemy. You know what your worst enemy is? Look in the mirror every morning and say, that's my enemy. I am my worst enemy. Jesus saves me from me. That's love. That's what we offer. We offer reconciliation to the Father, your creator. You can be reconciled. There is one bridge back to the Father, and it's Jesus Christ. We offer living water, life abundant. That's what we offer. We offer a kingdom that's growing. We offer a new Eden that's gonna blow your mind. That's love. We offer peace that passes understanding, a joy indescribable. That's what we offer. We offer the gospel for it is the power of God and the salvation. That's loving. That's what we offer. We don't try to conform to this. We say, this is what we have to offer, period. So this past year, more than any other time in almost 16 years at Edgewater, I have had emails and phone calls and conversations with people, and it's always this, that I am supposed to affirm, I just call it the flavor of the month. Whatever it is now that, that, uh, that's culturally saying, you have to do this, that I am supposed to, as a pastor, get out and say, hey, we affirm this thing, we affirm that. You know it. There's just been lists and lists and lists. It's, every, it's like wave after wave after wave. So the most recent one was I did a video on transgenderism and girls and how it's hurting them. And if you don't know this, research it. It's, it's sad. Just look at Kiara Bell, Travis Stock in the United Kingdom. I mean, you read her story, heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. 22-year-old girl that's now you know, unable to have kids. Just, it's just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. So anyways, so out of that came lots of conversations, lots of like, come on, how can you do this? And you need to, I was told, you need to, Edgewater needs to affirm transgenders. So this is what I said. I said, Edgewater is an affirming church. So if you're wondering about Edgewater, we are an affirming church. Here's what we affirm. This is what I send people now. Number one, we affirm all people are created in the image of God and deserve respect, love, and dignity. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Doesn't even matter what you're doing right now. Doesn't matter if you're gonna move to Portland or to Idaho. Doesn't matter who you voted for. None of that matters. You are created in God's image and I am required as an image bearer to give you love, dignity, and respect, period, even if I disagree with you. Number two, as you affirms, all people are sinners in need of a savior. Number three, as you affirms, Jesus Christ alone is savior of the world. This is what we affirm, period. And if you're wondering... <laughs> And you say, I don't agree with that. Okay, we're not gonna conform to the world. This is it. These are the basics. This is what we offer. And so I'm not searching for the world's approval. I could care less. 
I have Jesus Christ's approval, and that's more important to me, okay? So mark it, underline it. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, sisters, the world hates you. It means you're standing up for something. Love and hate. Number two, verse 16, the next pairing. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Number two, Perry, love and your stuff. And I know this is the most dangerous territory a pastor can ever tread on. My stuff? I worked hard for my money. So hard for my money. So you better treat me right. Right? Like this is something you're not supposed to talk about. And I know that you have worked hard, and I know that you have applied, and you've, you've done what you can, can do and done your best. You're not lazy. I get it, okay? And other people may not. And so a lot of times when I talk about giving, people are like, well, those people, they didn't. And I always say this, step back for a second and be honest with yourself about the opportunities that were given to you that you had no control over. You went through doors that a lot of other people have not had. So there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. And in Outliers, he looks at very wealthy people and shows that history, where they were born in history, was really important for them to get the advantages that they got. And one of the examples he gives is Bill Gates. Man, Bill Gates' star has fallen in the last year, has it not? Goodness. So Bill Gates, like five things that went into Bill Gates. He was born up in Seattle, Washington. In 1970, Seattle, Washington was one of two places on the planet that had a publicly accessible computer that you could go in and, and rent time on this really, really big, powerful computer, one of two places in the world. He was middle class. His parents had money so they could pay for him to rent time on this computer to learn it. He was close to it. He could ride his bike to it. He met a mentoring group that was very into computers and started to learn from them. Five things. If you change one of those five things with Bill Gates, he's not Bill Gates of Microsoft. He's Bill Gates at Staples with an easy button, right? That's the change. So all of us, I don't care where you are or, what, or how you have succeeded, listen, God had common grace on you. And there were doors that were open to you that you did not have any ability to open to. It. They were open because God had common grace on you. And so all of us need to stand back and be like, man, God has been good to me. Wow, right? Like you wouldn't have an MBA if you were born in the 13th century in Tibet. You'd be a peasant working for some Lord and that would be it for your whole life. You'd never get out of it. So we need to always step back and be like, actually God, you've been really generous to me. You've opened doors. Yes, I've gone through. Yes, I've partnered with you, no doubt about it. But the doors are there because of you, because of your grace and your goodness. Okay, so always start there with giving. So this is what John says. He says, life for life. 
In giving, look at what Jesus did for you. He gave his life for you. He left glory. He left his comfort. He left ease. He left the good life and came down here and didn't come down here as a prince or a king, came down here as a subjugated minority to a poor, dirt poor family. He came down as hard as he could get. He came down, he met you and me where we are at to bring us back to where he's at, glory and the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to do, just like Jesus. We're supposed to meet people where they are at to bring them to Jesus. So here's what this means for me. I just had this conversation with a guy two weeks ago. And there was lots of like F-bombs in the conversation. He was drinking and, you know, not necessarily a conversation that I normally have with people. Now, if I would have gone in there with this attitude when he's dropping F-bombs and been like, oh my, oh, I can't believe you said that. What would have happened to the conversation? It'd have been just shut down, right? I'm meeting you where you're at. I'll listen. You can use those words all that you want. You know, the kids weren't around anything like that. You can talk about things I'm not necessarily interested in because I know this eventually, I've been in enough of these conversations, eventually God will open a door for me. And he did. I just said, bro, how's that working for you? And he broke, started crying. Man, my life is terrible. My family's busted up. I'm busted up. I'm depressed. I think about taking my life, just on and on and on. So then I'm able to share Jesus Christ. I meet him where he's at. Just listen, no problem. Drop all those F-bombs you want. I'm gonna get through them because I want to bring you to where Jesus is. Lay down my life, leave my comfort, meet people where they are at to bring them to Jesus. Life for life. That we're, that's what we're supposed to do. But then he says, number two, not just doing that. Number two, with your stuff, right? If you have the world's goods and you see someone that does not, love them, not in word, love them in deed, in what you're doing with your stuff. I think ultimately, there's one of two destinies that every person will be in. Well, either number one, love people, and walk on streets of gold, or we'll love gold and walk on people. One is heaven and the other is hell. What do you love? John would say, the way that you know you've passed from death to life is you love people and you walk on streets of gold. Where are you living? I think it starts right now. Right? And giving, listen, when we talk about giving, it's never to raise funds like, like God needs it. It's to raise up kids. It's one of the mechanisms by which God raises up kids, right? God's not broke, we're broke. If you have kids, you know that, right? They're broken. After they learn mom and dad, what's the next two words a kid learns? No, mine. A lot of people never get out of that. No, Mine. I start talking about giving, and in your heart, it's no mine. Okay. Generosity and giving is one of the ways that God, one of the tools that God uses to change you and me into his image. And it's more than that. It's this. God knows this. When you're generous, you're actually happy. So Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It is more blessed. We did a whole series on blessed. Blessed doesn't, it's a fancy word that just means happy. You're more happy 
giving than you are receiving. That was written 2,000 years ago. There's a study now today that actually proves this to be true. There's a guy named Jorge Mall and Jordan Grafman, neuroscientists who put this helmet on people that can monitor brain waves. And then they had them kind of do everyday tasks and they monitor what their brain would do. When the people gave of their time, their talent, their treasure, whatever it was, just giving because they desired to give, the part of the brain that fired is the pleasure center. The center that fires because of marital congress or the part that fires because you have something really good to eat. A caramel macchiato blizzard at Dairy Queen. Heaven on earth. Streets of gold right there. They lead right to Dairy Queen. Right? That part of the brain. 2,000-year-old wisdom saying, this is the route to happiness. You give. You're generous. It brings you joy. Now, I asked this on that. Like, this is scientific now. How in the world did that evolve? Right? Giving? There's nothing in evolution that's about giving. It's survival of the fittest. Right? Do gorillas give? Mm-mm. When a new silverback gorilla takes over, guess what he does? The very first thing he does is he crushes the skulls of all the baby gorillas because it's his genes that need to go on. When a lion takes over a pride, the very first thing that male lion does is run down all the cubs of his predecessor and break their necks because it's about me. So Richard Dawkins actually wrote a book called The Selfish Gene that's all about you getting your genes into the next generation. That's all that matters. And I think most healthy people look at that and read that and they say, that's repulsive. I want nothing to do with that. Why? Here's why. Because you and I were created in God's image and God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. When you give, it's a way that you are reflecting the image and the glory and the splendor of your creator and you resonate with that. That's why. So it's not God trying to take something from you. It's God saying, this is how you grow up and become a joyful, happy person. Be generous. So love and your stuff. And then thirdly and lastly, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Number three and finally, love and obedience. Simply put, John says, if you love God, 
you're going to obey God. Well, Matt, what happens when I don't obey him? John says you feel condemnation. The Greek for condemnation here simply means you are judging your actions as being wrong. Anyone ever struggle with condemnation? I think most people can. Where we judge something that we've done as wrong and it kind of drives us away from God. So what do you do about condemnation? Because it interferes with this love and obedience thing. John gives us the two ways you take out condemnation. Number one, he says this. Whenever our heart condemns us, number one, God is greater than our heart. That's number one. God's greater. The condemnation cycle is fueled by this. It's this lie that we say. And the lie is this. Well, I just can't forgive myself. Anyone ever said that? That's a lie. Here's why. You are making your sin, I would be making my sin greater than Jesus Christ and the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ did what for your sins? He forgave you. So now you are making your sin and you're blowing it greater than the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We never do that. It's a lie from the enemy. You have to say, "Uh uh-uh. If Jesus could forgive me and pay for this sin on the cross, then I can forgive myself as well because God is greater than that. Number two, number two, and he knows everything. Listen, your sin, my sin, does not surprise God. God is not like, what? What did Matt do? I had no idea he'd do that. Oh, great. How do we get him off the roster? How do we trade him? I want to trade him to Satan, man. I'm tired of that kid. No, right? Your sin doesn't surprise God. It might surprise me. It might surprise yourself. It might surprise other people. God is not surprised. He knows everything, okay? How cool is that? You are not surprising God by your sin. Listen to Psalms 103. You might circle this one if you struggle with condemnation. This is a fantastic psalm. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God looks at you. God looks at me. And he says, yeah, he's dust. Anyone in here like dust? Anyone like, you know, we'd need a picture right there and a couch right there and just more dust in this place. How do we do that, right? No, dust is nasty. No one likes dust. Like, did you know this about indoor air? Right now in one cubic foot, if you took one foot by one foot by one foot, there are two, uh, 100,000 dust particles. Sometimes you see them like when light's coming through, like those are the really big ones, but there's 100,000 little particles of dust. And inside, 75% of those particles, dead skin cells. <sighs> Breathe deeply. <laughs> You're all cannibals. That's what you are, right? God says to you and me, hey, you're dirt. 
you're dust. And what's his response to that? Get away from me, I'm washing my hands of you. No, what does he say? I have compassion on you. I have compassion. I know what you're like, Matt. I know your frame. And my response to your dirtiness is not to condemn you or to drive you out. My response to it is, I'm gonna have compassion on you. That's why Romans 5, 8 in the New Testament would put it like this. God demonstrated his love towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I was my dirtiest, raunchiest, nastiest, that's when God demonstrated his love for me. Christ died for me then. And if he loved me at my worst, don't you know it's not gonna change? You should never be condemned as a believer. God is greater and he knows the cross is sufficient and he has compassion on you when you're dirty and dusty. That's why we're to run to him, not from him, right? So here's what he says about obedience. Condemnation taken care of, come on. God's greater than that. He knows everything. So here's what you're supposed to do. Obey his commands. You want to start a massive dialogue. Ask what commands are Christians supposed to obey, right? And there are tons of them in the Bible. If you go to the Old Testament, there are 613 do's and don't in the Old Testament. Are we supposed to obey all those commands? Like the color of clothing we're supposed to wear? Like the day that we're supposed to worship on? Like, do we still take sacrifices in? Are we supposed to be doing that? Like not eating certain kinds of food? Deuteronomy 14, 18 says, you are not allowed to eat bats. It's the one command none of us break. Like, praise God. I am a commandment keeper. That one right there. So what is it? Two commands. Love people and believe in Jesus. Love is a theme, is it not, of John's? I mean, this has got to be the 10th time we've hit this subject in three chapters. Love the brothers. Love people. Now, why would John make that his theme? Because Jesus did. It's John 13, 35. Jesus says this, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, by your cool bumper stickers, <laughs> great t-shirts, your giant print King James Bible with the little naked baby on the front shooting an arrow. That's how they're gonna know. No, one thing, by your love, one for another. That's how. Now, why would that be the one command that demonstrates that we're his disciples? Because there's nothing more difficult in the world. Do you know the number one reason why missionaries leave the mission field? It's not because there's no two-ply toilet paper or because of bugs or snakes or that kind of stuff or because of the food or because they can't get Netflix. The number one reason missionaries leave the mission field? Other missionaries. Because loving people is as hard as it gets. Nothing is more difficult than this one right here. Not for me, Matt. I got no problem loving people. Well, that's because of one or two things then. Number one, if you opened up your shirt, you got a red S there. Or number two, you're really picky about who you love. It's easy to love lovely people, right? Did Jesus love easy people? Look at the 12 disciples. They were arguing all the time about who was greatest, right? They want to call fire down and consume a city. 
when Jesus begins to talk about the cross, one of them takes him aside and gets, rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine that? Hey, Jesus, I gotta rebuke you for this. Like, it's insane. They deny, they leave, right? They say they don't even know him, they betray. No, he loved really, really hard people because he demonstrated this is how you're going to know. It's easy. Unbelievers love their friends. You and I are to love our enemies. The high, high mark. Well, how in the world do you do that? Commandment number two, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. When you say name in the Bible, it's nature. The nature of who Jesus is. You're believing in Jesus. That's it, Matt? That's how we do it? Just by believing? Aren't we supposed to do stuff just believing? How would that ever work? Here's how it works. Whatever you believe, you will be living. It's that simple. If you believe Tesla stock will triple in two weeks, what are you going to do with all your Bitcoin? You're going to move it over there if you really believe that. If you believe a lie that someone tells you, does that change how you live your life? Oh, absolutely. If someone lies to you and tells you that your spouse has been unfaithful to you and you believe that lie, will that change how you live your life? 100%. Because what you truly believe, you will be living. This is what John knows. This is what he knows. If you really believe Jesus Christ is the king of the universe, that he launched a rescue mission for us, started 2,000 years ago, and it will culminate with you and me joining him and ruling and reigning in a new heavens and a new earth for eternity. If you really believe that he is the only bridge back to the Father, that there is salvation under no other name. If you really believe that by trusting him and looking to him, your life can be transformed by his power. If you really believe that, you'll be living it. It'll change the way you look at life. You and I have been given, given God life, but that God life is activated by one thing, faith. It's why verse 24 just ends this way. It's brilliant. Whoever keeps his commands, love people and believe, abides in God and God in him. We are now the very temple of the Holy Spirit. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom God has given to us. It'll transform you. It'll transform how you treat dusty, dirty people that you're around. It'll transform how you use your stuff. Believe has that power. And every Sunday we have the opportunity. We come, we take the cup and the bread. And you and I can take the cup and the bread in two ways. It can be a couple calories, a routine that you just take, or you can activate this by faith. Like you read Romans chapter four, Abraham, the father of faith. It just says this, he believed God. He believed what God said he could do. That God's word is equivalent to God's action. They're the same. So God told him, hey, I know you're 100,000 years old, 
but you're gonna have a son. Great, I believe. And because Abraham's faith activated that promise, the world has been changed. You and I, every Sunday, have the same opportunity that we take this cup and we take this bread and we say, by faith, be activated. By faith, change me. By faith, transform me. Cure me. Save me from myself. So Jesus, today, I pray for each one in here that loves you and wants to obey your commandments. I pray for those of us whose heart is right now saying, you don't believe. May we be like that Greek man who said, I believe. Help my unbelief. We need you. You're greater. And so I pray as we partake today that you would increase in our lives and we would decrease. That by your life, death, and resurrection, by your ascension to the heavens, to the right hand of the Father, I pray that by that power, by your spirit, by our simple faith, we would be changed. That you would change us. May we eat of change today. And we take the cup. That there is no sin greater than your salvation for us on the cross. That's not about us forgiving ourselves. It's about you forgiving us and cleansing us. It's the most unreasonable thing in the world that though our sins were like scarlet, you can make them white as snow. I pray that every believer in here today would know your greatness in forgiving. Your compassion on our dirty frames. That we can run to you and you will not be mad at us. That's what this cup is. So may we drink deeply of your grace and your goodness and your forgiveness. And may our faith activate something inside of us that makes us bulletproof to the condemnation of the enemy. That if you don't condemn us, no one can. Let's drink together. Amen. So we'll sing one more song. And then we'll have some people that would love to pray for you up here. And part of the way that we participate in God life is Galatians 6.1. Casting all our cares upon him, praying for one another, bearing each other's burdens. It happens right up here. And maybe you came in with some kind of a burden or a besetting sin. Or whatever it is, we want to partner with you. Let us pray for you. Or maybe today's your day to be baptized. It could be because you want to put your faith, you want to believe in Jesus today. 
So the Bible says, repent and be baptized right out there. Or maybe for you, you've believed in Jesus as your savior, and now you want to believe in him as king. And he commands to his kids to be baptized. If either of those things are true, man, we'd welcome baptizing you. So prayer, baptism. Would you stand for one final song?